Well, good morning and who day? So who day's out there? Yeah, lots of orange, lots of black and orange coming in the building. For those watching online uh, or getting ready for your Super Bowl parties, thanks for joining us today as part of our family. We just appreciate you, and uh, whether you're coming here because you lost a bet with somebody or whether or not you're coming here to pray the Bengals in, we just appreciate you being here with us today. We're in a brand new series called Tales of the Unexpected, and it gives the opportunity, whether you're here in the room or you're watching from home, to be part of the service. So if you want to pull out your phones to be part of this, you can actually text to the number 22333, and you can put the subject line is H church like horizon church 300 and it will immediately uh, dial you into our system we're in a series about the twists and turns of stories and that god often brings twists into our life and you're going to have the opportunity to change the story i'm going to try and tell by giving feedback think something like mad libs and so we're going to take some different words together you're going to add those to the mix as i tell the story and it'll kind of change it up we'll see how well i roll with the changes as the story goes on so again that number 22333 and the subject line will be uh, h church 300 and you'll be able to participate and again we're going to talk today about expectations the twists and turns of life and how all of us roll with the changes Man, that's nothing compared to, I mean, that, this should have been the halftime show at the Super Bowl right here. Awesome job, guys. Man, some REO Speedwagon rolling with the changes, and you get an opportunity to join us, actually, in this, uh, in this rolling with the changes of our story today. So if you got your phones, if you just came in, you can still join us. Seven blanks to fill in. You can text to 22333, subject line, Church 300 So we're going to come up with them, some brainstorms together like Mad Libs for our story to bring some changes. Um, the, the software doesn't take spaces. If you want to put, for example, Medusa, you're fine, Betty White, put Betty White with no spaces and you'll see the word cloud will form. All right, let's start with our story here. We're going to tell a story and I need seven words to fill the story out. So what is our first blank that you can text in? Can you name me a female celebrity or historical figure? So again, that could be Medusa, Wicked Witch of the West, just no spaces, Betty White. What is a, f- a female celebrity or historic figure? We got Whitney Houston coming in so far. We got Michelle. We got uh, Michelle Obama. We got uh, Betty White. Good to have her in there. Anyone else? So as they come in, if somebody votes for the same one twice, it gets bigger. I'll either pick the one that's the biggest or I'll pick one. Oh, Lady Gaga. That's pretty good. She's getting lots of votes. Wow. We got Eleanor Roosevelt. We got Cleopatra, lots of good choices here. Cher, Taylor Smith. All right, we're going to go with Lady Gaga. That's our first, uh, our first answer, Lady Gaga. Hey, if you don't like it, you got to vote more. All right, here we go. Number two. Second category is a name of a town or city. Could be made up, you know, Hicksville. Could be uh, Pocahontas uh, uh, or the land of Hanalee, rather, from... Uh, uh, Peach Dragon, whatever it is, give me a, a particular city or town that can go into our story. So we got lots of Cincinnati, and we got, what else we got here? Uh, York, we got um, Mary, Mother of Jesus, that must have been for the last category. Uh, we got Lexington, we got uh, some Jennifer Lopez in here. We got a load of everything in here. Jerusalem, Ridge, Gatlinburg. Let's go with... Um, What's that? We'll give Cincinnati because it's... Oh, no, Sausageville. We're going to go with Sausageolito. Sausageolito. I think I spelled it wrong, but there it is. Sausageolito. All right. Next category that you can text in for. A room in your house or building. 
could be inside, outside, bathroom, outhouse, living room, the parlor, the conservatory, you know, depending which room you want. Maybe you played a lot of Clue growing up, uh, whatever it is. Give me some rooms. Kitchen so far is the biggest. The cave, the cave, the man cave. We have uh, the crawl space. We have the powder room. Uh, kitchen's still big. Everybody's thinking about the Super Bowl and the snacks they need here. All right, we got man cave. Looks like they got the shed. Pretty good. All right, let's go with one of the most unique ones up there. Well, we'll go with, um, let's see, I'll go with, um, wow, there's lots of good ideas coming up here still. Let's go with uh, man cave. All right, man cave. All right. All right, number one, number four. A couple more, you can jump right in there. Number four category is an adjective to describe a meal. Could be good, could be bad, could be delicious, could be wonderful, could be awesome, could be groovy. Uh, could be the things that are up there to have nothing to do with uh, the category that we're in. So apparently the software is updating for a second. So we'll give it just a second to catch up. You can still type in, see if those pull in. If not, I will jump on to the next category. Adjective, describe a meal. So while we're waiting for the software, in the room, who can yell out some adjectives for me? Tasty. All right. What? Say again. Spicy. All right. Say again. Delicious. All right. Spicy, delicious. Satisfying. All right. Pretty good. Last call. Oh, try one more time on the screen. We'll see if they pull up. If not, we're going to use the ones in the room. Delicious, spicy, satisfying. Last call for the board. All right, we're going to spicy. Spicy will be number four. Let's go to question number five. Let's see if we can get uh, the poll to work again. Um, Next category. Looks like we cannot get that one working. Can you guys go to the next screen, or do we need to move on to to the final one? Type of animal. Type of animal. What is it? A tiger? Come on. A bangle? Should we have a bangle here today? A bangle? Okay, a bangle, a tiger. What else we got? A dinosaur? Dog? Oh, we got hippopotamus, hedgehog, flamingo, tiger, bangle, hippopotamus. You know what? As much as bangle should be up there, uh, I'm going to go with hippopotamus. I think that'll be fun for our story. Hippo. We'll just go hippo. All right. Category number six. Last two. Again, if you're watching from home, uh, feel free to text in and join the word cloud. We've got two more changes to add to our story. So what is an occupation or a job title? It's an occupation or a job title. What somebody might do. A plumber, a bartender, a glider, an entrepreneur, a dung beetle. I'm guessing that's for the last one. I like dung beetle. That's pretty good. Uh, sugar, garbage collector, banker. All right, what do we got here? Got lots of good ones. I'm going to go with, um, let's see, favorite one. We're going to go with a unicorn. No, 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 that was for the last one. I'm sorry, my bad. We're going to go with, um, we'll go with a dancer. All right, we'll go with a dancer. All right, dancer's up there. All right, last question for our story. If you want to text in or yell out if our texting doesn't work, but so far so good. Uh, oh, we're back to an occupation or job title. We're going to have our last category I'm going to pull up the last category on the screen, and it is a fictional character. Fic- Winnie the Pooh. All right, pretty good. Winnie the Pooh from the room. Winnie the Pooh. A programmer. I'm guessing that's for the last one for all you programmers. We do believe you exist. All right. Uh, fictional character, Harry Potter, Shrek, Barney. I've seen Barney. He's real. Luke Skywalker, Dumbo, Scooby-Doo. Pretty good. Pigpen, um, Let's go with the uh, big one. Let's go with the Shrek or Harry Potter. We're going to go with last chance to vote those two up bigger. 
Oh, well, Harry Potter just shrunk. All right, we'll go with Pigpen. Pigpen just got really big. Pigpen. All right. So let's uh, plug these into our story and see how we made our story together and what changes we made. A wealthy woman named Lady Gaga, who lived in Sausagelito, just finished renovating her man cave, which worked out really well. People came from all over to visit, and she explained, they explained, wow, it's so spicy. Her house made her popular, but she wasn't satisfied. What she really wanted was, well, a hippo, a hippopotamus. In fact, sadly, she'd given up hope. To her surprise, a famous dancer stopped by and told her that she would soon become pregnant with a baby pig pen. Thank you for being part of our story today. So thanks for the changes and the twists that come in the story. But this is actually the story we're going to learn about from the Bible and how we roll from the changes. There's a wealthy woman. We don't even know her name. She's a noble woman in a little town called a Shunammite. And she's living in, in an area just near Israel. And she had just finished renovating their house. And people would come over and say, man, that's awesome. That's great. I love what you've done with the place. However, what she really wanted was a child. She'd actually been barren for many, many years. And she hoped to have a child. And one day, Elisha, the prophet, shows up and tells her that she will soon have a child, and this changes her entire world. And that's what we're going to look at today. And what I want to propose to you is if you and I are going to roll with the changes, there's something that we can do that would be helpful. And that is that often it's the coulds get smothered by the shoulds in your life. That we're so focused on having expectations that something should happen, or our spouse should act a certain way, or our kids should be doing A, B, and C, that we're not able to see opportunities in front of us. We're so focused on that, what should be going on, the timing that should happen. We don't miss all the coulds and become curious about other avenues. We're often so bombarding our spouses with all things they should be doing and focusing on their weaknesses and what they should be doing if they really loved us or really cared about us. We don't really affirm and celebrate what is happening around us, what could be possible, what our marriage could be part of. And often the expectations of what should be keep us from the joy of what could be. And changes are going to come into our life. And if the whole time those changes and twists come into our life, we're so focused on how it ought to have been, what we expect it to be, we're going to smother our kids, our family, and even ourselves. So that's what we're looking at today. How do the expectations of what should be keep us from the joy of what could be? And I'll give us three ways to look through life that will allow you to roll with the changes in your life. The first one we see is in the story of this woman as it begins, is she just had this incredible ability to look for ways to give well. You know when you're young and you're kind of inexperienced and you're, you're, uh, you're insecure, you walk to a party, right? You hear this from your kids who go to a party. You know, what are people going to say about me, about what I'm wearing? Or maybe you get a little bit older, you walk into a party or a network and you're thinking to yourself, who can I network with that's going to help me? But it's really about yourself. What can I do in this situation that's going to allow me to advance myself or look good or come across well? Right? And yet there comes a place in our maturity and our expectations. We walk into a business situation or a social situation. And instead of saying, like, what am I going to get out of this? We say, what can I give out of here? If you come to a party or into a business meeting, you say, who needs encouragement? Who looks like they need some comfort? 
who today in this meeting or this party looks like they could just use a friend. Are you somebody to ask them about their day? I promise this, you'll never run out of opportunities to give well. And isn't it true if we change our expectation of walking into a situation? Joy, right? Where does joy come from? How can I affirm someone, build someone up? What if your marriage, you kept focusing on all things your spouse is doing wrong or should be doing differently? How can I help my spouse, encourage my spouse, affirm my spouse? Years of marriage counseling, I've never had a couple say, we just encourage each other too much, Chad. Could you help us with that? No. But what if your expectation in your marriage and family is how could I find the joy of building and giving to other people? Now, we talked about last week is entitlement occurs when the opposite happens, right? What am I owed or what am I getting out of this? Look how hard I work around here in this marriage. I just give, 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 and they just take, take, take. And then we become resentful. We become entitled. It begins to destroy our families and our relationship. So our first expectation is how do we come to every situation with the expectation, how do I give well? So the Bible introduces us to this woman, the Shunammite, and she's a noble woman. She's notable. She's very, very wealthy, very, very notable, very, very well-known in the community. And she and her husband have a little place, and they notice that there's a man of God who, who kind of passes through there very often named Elisha, and he doesn't have a place to stay. So this notable woman persuaded him, hey, come stay at our house. And you get the sense that she's a notable woman, she's a persuader, she's a salesperson, she talks him into it, we're going to have a great meal, she just has beautiful hospitality. When he stays there, she turns to her husband afterwards, and she says, you know what we ought to do, honey? We ought to, we ought to put up a bed for him and maybe add on to the house, so every time he comes by, he has a place. And so she says, you know what, let's find a way that we can take what we've been given, this opportunity that we have, and let's expand it so that we can bless other people. Because every time he comes in town, he's blessing other people. Let's be part of that. Our mindset is not what has God done for us, what has life done for us, but how can we engage in helping bless other people? Now, right, this is like the worst thing that ever happens. Your spouse comes home and says, we've got to add on to the house. And you're like, oh, no, because that means you're ever going to add on to the house. It means we need a new couch, and now we have a new couch, we need a new paint job. Right, this is like, oh, my goodness. It's like, it's like never-ending domino effect. I had a buddy, he was an executive at uh, Home Depot about 20 years ago, and he was the head of their communication department, and so he had access to all the bells and whistles. And so he was also on our drama team. He and I did dramas at our church pretty regularly, and just a neat guy. His name was uh, Rob. Well, he invited me to his house one day, and he just built out this amazing man cave home theater. I mean, it, I think it set 20 people in Indian Hill, uh, sorry, in, in Buckhead down in Atlanta. It had light control. He had this little you know, remote control. You can control the lights and the sound and the overheads. It was just amazing. He gave us a whole tour and we watched a movie together. And I said, wow, this is just incredible. Because yeah, we, we built this so that the drama team at church would have a place to rehearse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is that what you told your wife? We built this place so the drama... I think we, we, we practiced there once. I'm like, yeah, you built a great place. It's awesome. Just call it what it is. And, and the thing about Rob is we did use it for drama. We were in a temporary facility for many, many years. But every time you're in the room with Rob, you could just see why he was so successful. He just found ways not to talk about himself, but to listen to you, to affirm you. You just always walked out of an interaction with Rob with a sense that, that you mattered. He just was so good at giving well in every situation. 
How might your mindset be different if you encountered every environment you set in and say, how can I build something, create something, build into someone that allows them to give well? Rather than letting that entitlement expectation begin to crush you. But our story is going to take a twist. And the twist goes from learning how to give well to learning how to grieve well. And to grieve well, I think is what all of us need to do when changes come our way, is that we're going to have to learn how to grieve what should be. Because we've got good reasons why things should happen the way they should happen. Why our, our kids should act the way they should act. Why the timing of God or life for our circumstances should have happened that way. But they haven't. And they might not ever. So how do we grieve what should be so we can open our eyes to just be curious about what could be? Many of us have been crushed under the weight of someone else's should be. As I mentioned last week, there's kind of a formula that we all use that serves us well. It says that time plus energy equals good results and good feelings. And so I put time, I put energy in, and look, I got good results and I got good feelings. But what happens when you put time and energy into something, because it should be that way, and you don't get results, or your spouse doesn't act the way they want, or your kids don't turn out to, or aren't doing what you should, then you kind of double down. You give more time and energy, right? Look how hard I work around. Look how much energy I've poured into this. Here's what kind of happens in the human heart, happens in mine. The more time and energy I put in, I now definitely expect some affirmation. I definitely expect some affection. I definitely expect some respect. Because now look how doubly hard I've worked. But if I've doubly worked hard and doubly put in the time and energy and I don't get the results, and worse than that, I have bad feelings, now I start to get really angry. I'm not living with joy. I'm living with a lot of anger. The sense of life owes me, God owes me, my spouse owes me, my boss owes me, my job owes me, just begins to contaminate everything. And now I've got these bad feelings. And most of us don't know and haven't been trained how to deal with bad feelings. We just say, well, I'll not have those bad feelings by, you know, putting more time and energy and work hard enough and I have to have them. We don't have the skills to grieve well. How do we handle fear? How do you really process sadness, anger, shame? How do you really feel your way through insecurity or being out of control? For most of us don't know how to grieve well, so instead we have different coping mechanisms. I'm going to distract myself and not think about it. I'm going to numb it with all the different ways we can medicate our pain and our bad feelings. We're going to try and control people and circumstances, and that people kind of resent being controlled, and that hasn't worked out real well for you or relationships. Others of us, we've gone through feelings of, of anger and shame and sadness, and we're just going to be strong. But you only be strong for a few weeks and months, and then that sadness comes back. So let me give you a definition of grief that maybe expands what you and I may normally think grief being someone dying. Grief is an emotional response to change. Might be a change in your health, a change that you retired and you thought things were going to be like A, and it turned out they were like B. You never thought you'd go through a divorce. You're grieving. You're grieving your kids decided to go to this college when you always hoped they'd go to that college. As a special needs father, you know, there's been layers and layers of grief I've had to wrestle with. And, and I've been able to be open to the joy of what could be, but I had to grieve a lot of what 
I thought should be. I love these quotes here. J.K. Rowling says, Numbing the pain for a while will only make it worse when you finally feel it. But if you don't have tools in knowing how to feel it, you're like, well, at least I'll put it off. Another quote, The walls we build to keep sadness out also keep out the joy. How do we grieve well? We go back to our Shunanite woman. She's been so generous, and she's been so helpful to Elisha, that he turns to his buddy, kind of a servant he has, and says, what could we do for that Shunanite woman? How could we just thank her for all the ways that she has encouraged us, shown hospitality to us? He says, you know, I I could talk to the king. I got a relationship with some kind of high-powered commanders. What do you think? Should we offer that to her? And he says... She answers when he kind of shows up, the servant shows up, you know what, I dwell among my own people. I've got my own influence. I don't really need you to talk to the king of Israel. So the, uh, the servant says to Elisha, you know what I think she would want? She has no son and her husband is very old. She's been barren for many, many years and she's grieved her barrenness. All right? She didn't want to be barren, but she's processed the grief that that's just not going to happen. Her husband is old. She's never going to have a child. And Elisha says, call her in. Call her in. And so now, Elisha's here wanting to bless her, knowing that she doesn't have a child. She's standing in the doorway. And look what Elisha says to her. About this time next year, you're going to embrace a son. And look what she says. No, 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 my lord. No, 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 no. Don't you lie to me. I have let that... I've grieved this. I have accepted that that's not going to be part of my life. Don't lie to me. Don't lie to your maidservant. Don't open that door. I've closed that door. And he says, no, you're going to have a son. Sure enough, nine months later, she conceived and she bore a son at the appointed time. And the story takes this incredible twist. We go from a woman who was very, very generous. She'd accepted this, this, this barrenness in her life and found a way to make the best of her life the way she was doing it. And now this door has opened and, and God has brought a child into her life. And you're like, wow, this is amazing. It doesn't happen to most of us, but it happens to some of us. And the child grows up. He's out playing with dad. And it says, now it happened that one day, this miracle child went out to his father, to the reapers, and they're working together. And he says, oh, my head, my head. Comes up to dad, dad, my head hurts. Dad says, go carry him to his mom. (laughs) Right, classic dad. And they carry him to his mom. She puts him on his knees to look at his head, and the child dies. And the story takes another horrible twist. What in the world? Why is this in the Bible? Why would you bring a miracle child only to have him grieve and die? But there are things in your life and my life that haven't gone our way. And some of those are death, and some of those are circumstances. How do you process that? How do you grieve well? She had to grieve her barrenness, and now she's going to have to grieve her son? So let me just walk us through a couple steps on how to grieve well. Whatever it is you're grieving. Remember, grief is an emotional response to change. And this might be the kind of thing you have to go back and download the PowerPoints and, and take some time with a journal entry and a piece of paper. 
Scientists and psychologists have shown that when you write something down with a journal, that the motion of writing it down connects the emotional side of your brain um, with, with, the, with the rational side of your brain as you're really processing through how you feel and what's going on. Let's just walk through a little bit of that for a moment. Number one, write down changes in your life right now. What are the things that have changed, good or bad, that you're having to cope with? They might be bringing up emotions that you may have not been prepared for or not wanted. There's a stress index. You can download it. Just look up stress index. And it shows that from 0 to 100, what are the things that bring change into our life? And you'll notice there's good and bad. Maybe you want to take the list I have up here. I'll walk through a few of them or Google it online. And just start adding up all the changes that have been going on in your life recently. You think about COVID, it's like many of us, all these things piled on at once. Just look at a few. The death of a spouse, a hundred stress level. Maybe a divorce or the fear of divorce. It's 73. Just that fear of that going on in the background. Jump down. Personal illness or illness of someone you love. 53. Getting married is just, just getting married, even if it's a good marriage, is a 50-level stress, right? You're suddenly living with somebody, trying to figure out how to you know, cope with their definition of what you know, the appropriate thing to do is. Retirement's a 45. It's a change. Children leaving home, 29. A financial change, good or bad, a 38. Difficulties in your sex life, pregnancy, personal achievement. My point is we don't take the time, because we just go watch another Netflix movie, just get busy, busy, busy. We don't take the time to grieve and start by saying, what's going on in my life that's brought about change, that have brought up emotions that I need to process through? So as you're sitting here, just pick a couple of those in your head and kind of add up. And no wonder there's a lot of angst going on in our family or in my life right now. There's a lot going on. Then number two, I want you to write down how you feel about that change. Now, most of us don't have a vast emotional vocabulary. We just haven't been taught it because we've been numbing and avoiding and suppressing those emotions. So I want to put a list up on the screen. Again, you can download this later or just for right now, I want you to grab at least two emotions from two different categories. You might say, when I think about that thing you just talked about, Chad, I'm excited. I'm happy. But it's more than happy. I'm feeling really content right now and really grateful. Yeah, that's the word. Maybe there's something you're grieving that's making you feel sad. But it's not just sad. Go down a little bit. Maybe you're actually crushed. And the woman who had a son was elated, but now she's crushed. How could God have done this? How could life have done this? Why, after grieving my barrenness, would God put me through this? But I want you to pick two emotions good or bad, that this change has brought up in you that you might need to grieve through or process through or to acknowledge in your life. And those emotions aren't necessarily going to fix a solution. This isn't time plus energy equals results. This is what are the feelings going on inside me that I need to grieve well and I need to confront and I need to accept and I need to kind of partner with. Then thirdly, when you think about the situation that you're in, what are the things that you can't change? You have tried doubling down on effort, doubling down on time, but you know what? that person won't change. They won't give you access to the kids. Your spouse isn't going to change. You don't want to get a divorce, but it's heading in that direction. What are the things you can't change and you're going to have to figure out how to accept?
even though you don't want to. I was reading a book by, uh, it's called Option B, by the COO of Facebook. And it's co-authored by Adam Grant, but uh, Sheryl Sandberg describes how she was able to start looking at option Bs as she learned how to grieve well as an executive. For those who don't know her story, she came home day to her healthy husband who was running on the treadmill, and for no reason, nothing in advance, her husband fell over and died on the treadmill, and her whole life got turned upside down. She's now a single mom at an age she didn't expect to be. She's now trying to deal with grief and run a company and be a mom and all the expectations, all the pressures and all the grief. I saw an interview with her and she just said she wrote this book because she wanted other people to learn skills she didn't have, how to deal with negative emotions and how to grieve well. She said there were days she didn't think she would survive. She was overwhelmed with the void and the sadness. She said a rabbi told her this quote that she kept with her. I don't want to die while I'm still living. She said that's what it felt like. I was dying. What should have happened, what shouldn't have happened had so consumed me, I was dying while I was still living. She said, I wrote this book because I really wanted to figure out, do I let the void take over or do I try and find meaning in the midst of it? She came back to her Facebook team and they said, hey, I was going to call, but I didn't know what to do. I was going to stop by, but I didn't know what to do. And so as a team, they came together and said, let's embrace the awkwardness. You can't say anything wrong. Let's just reach out. And let's, she says, I was more vulnerable than I ever, ever wanted to be as a professional with my friends and colleagues. And, and something began to happen in me as I began to process my emotions and my friends. I let them lean in. And I'm not sure I would have survived had I not found new ways to grieve the things I couldn't control. But I'm not sure most of us do that work. I even want to. I, do I want to deal with all that? And my wife was on her back for two years with back surgery, plus I had a special needs son who had extremely high needs. The amount of grieving and emotions, I did not want to feel they were there. And I doubled, tripled, quadrupled down on time and energy, and I could not change the results. And finally, I had to get alone with myself, identify what was going on, figure out the feelings, and ask God to meet me in the midst of it. back to our woman we get to the third thing if we will dare to give well and grieve well then there's a way for our soul to get well get well is realizing that whatever chapter you're in is not the final chapter god has a way to work in a final chapter that can even bring you peace in the midst of this circumstance this tragic circumstance that our our shenanite woman finds herself in look what she happens she's got her son in her arms He's died, and she brings him up and lays him down in that bed, that, sh- that bed and breakfast she made for Elisha. She lays him down, and she walks over to her husband and says, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys. I'm going to run to the man of God. This circumstance, I'm going to use this to run to God. I've got to figure out his comfort. I've got to figure out his plan. I'm going to run to God in the midst of this, and then I'm going to come back. And I love this husband's response. It's so great. He says, 
Why are you going to him today? It's not like new moon or the Sabbath, which is kind of like saying we only go to church on Christmas and Easter, and we only go on Sundays. What are we doing going on a Wednesday? <clears throat> when life takes a twist and something gets shattered, you reach out to God or deeper meaning in a way you won't any other time. And he notes that. But look what she says. She says, don't worry about it. It is well. To which you and I are like, no, it's not. It's not well. I'm trusting God to work in this circumstance. So, look how many times the word, it is well, shows up. Please run now to meet her and say to her, it is well with you. It is well with your husband. So this is now um, Elisha. Here she's coming. Runs out. His servant runs out. Says, is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? And she says, it is well. Now, when she came to the man of the God of the hill, she caught him by the feet and Gasiah, that's his servant, came near to push her away. Don't be grabbing hold of the prophet. But the man of God said, no, you let her alone. You let her grab hold of my feet. Let me embrace her. For her soul is in deep distress. Now, how can both of these be true? How can she be saying it is well and her soul be in deep distress? To which we say it's called denial. Maybe. Or maybe there's a way to grieve and have hope that can be mixed together. And she has this conversation as she's wrestling with God in the midst of her grief. Look what she says. She says, did I not ask the son of my Lord? No, I didn't ask for one. But I said, don't deceive me. Don't give me one. Don't open that door if you're going to crush me. So I'm still trusting God in the circumstance. Even though my soul is anguished. She's able to say, I don't know what the future holds. I don't know what's going to happen. But there's a, a wellness in my soul that God is going to give me what I need to sustain this. Is it comfort? Is it strength? It's a man named Horatio. True story, living in the 1800s. He lived in Chicago. In fact, he lived right near the area that I went to college. I went to Moody Bible Institute up there in Chicago. And he was a very, very successful lawyer. Things were doing very, very well. In fact, his law practice, he became a partner in his law firm and began to buy real estate all around Chicago. Things were going swimmingly until the Chicago fire. It wiped out most of Chicago, and suddenly all his investments with no insurance back in those days were gone. He and his wife and four kids were just devastated. So he said, we need to get away with what meager funds we have left and kind of start back over. So he decided to take the family to London. So they got on the boat in the 1800s, only at the last minute he got called back to finish up a business deal he was trying to fix. So he sends his wife and kids as they're heading across, he's finishing up the deal. He's going to catch the boat in, in a few days. As that boat is making its way across the Atlantic Ocean in the dark of night, it rams into another boat. Last minute, they tried to ring the bells, and both boats sank. And his wife is up on the bow of the boat with the four daughters praying, and she prayed this prayer. She said, God, either save us or give us the courage to face death knowing of your resurrection. She was a follower of Jesus and knew that the hope of Christianity is that Jesus defeats death. He brings about resurrection. He resurrected himself now, but he promised to resurrect, resurrect us in the future. And so she's standing on this boat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. God, either save us now or give us the courage to face death. A few hours later, a small boat will come up upon the wreckage and find a woman hanging onto a piece of timber 
All the family had died. He will pick her up and make her way to London where she will send a telegraph back to her husband. Boat sank. Only one survived. What do I do? He hops onto a boat, makes the long journey across the Atlantic, knowing he's grieving the loss of his four daughters. He gets to the place in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean where the commander says, somewhere about here is where the boat went down, and he is wrestling with God. He was a follower of Jesus and, a, and a, an elder at, at his church, Presbyterian Church in Chicago. And he wrote these words. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, he has caused me to say, it is well with my soul. I'm going to see my daughters again. I thought I'd have them longer than this, but God, they were your daughters. You gave them to me and you've taken them back. But God, it is well with my soul. I'm going to rub the hope of resurrection into my grief. When he made his way to the uh, London borders, he and his wife just grieved together. There was an evangelist there named D.L. Moody, the guy who started my Bible college. He was friends with them. He knew them from Chicago. He and his music director, Ira Sankey, came and just grieved with them and met with them and, and sat with them. And they were inspired by the, the, gr- the real genuine grief combined with real genuine hope they got from Christ. And Ira Sankey took the words from his journal and turned it into a hymn you may have heard before. It is well with my soul. This woman who's anguished is still able to say it as well. God will be enough. And our story takes one more twist. For Elisha comes to the house, says, where have you placed the child? You see, this final chapter, if she had known about the final chapter, it would have helped her in this difficult chapter. He comes up and he sees the child and he's died and he's laying in that bed that they made for him. And in a weird, weird thing, Elisha actually lays on top of him and begins to just pray, God, God, save this boy, deliver this boy, rescue this boy, resurrect this boy. He gets back up and his body started to get warm, but it's, it's not resurrected yet. So he prays again and he lays down and he prays and he prays and he prays. And all of a sudden, I love what it says, he stretched himself out on the boy and all of a sudden the child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes and Elisha picked him up said to the, to the mom, pick up your son. So she fell at his feet and bowed to the ground. You know certain people in your life have certain mannerisms like my dad. When he sneezes, I can tell that from a quarter mile away the way my dad sneezes. My mom, when she sneezes, boy, if you're that young mom, I'm never going to hear those seven sneezes of my little boy again. Maybe not till heaven. But that day, she got the gift of resurrection and God showed her a chapter in the ultimate twist and said this story had its ups and downs, but the final story is going to make up for all the chapters. And I don't know where you are and what chapter you're in. And most of us are not going to get resurrection this side of heaven, but Jesus promises he'll bring resurrection to all of us on that side of heaven. And that final chapter can give you the hope of resurrection that you can see your grandmother again, you can see your son again, you can see your daughter again, and you can see a world with no pain and no agony again. 
Because Jesus comes not only to forgive us, but to finally fix what's broken in this world is what he offers to us. So last year, I was just really inspired by a, a young man who was part of a big ministry, worldwide ministry, and his mom got cancer. And they prayed, had tens of thousands of people praying, and they thought for sure this was going to be one of those miracle stories like this. God saved her. 10,000 people pray. Join us. His mom died. And at the funeral, he shared some words that just struck me. He said, I was so angry at God for what he had done. God, where are you in this situation? This would have been such a great story about how we prayed and you delivered and lots of people come to know you. And Tony Evans, kind of a famous pastor's son, as he's wrestling with God, he said, I felt God saying to me, I know what I'm doing and I do provide the victory. It's like, what do you mean? He goes, oh, the victory of what you asked for is always yes and yes. You asked, will your mom be healed? And there were two choices and both were a win. Either your mom was healed or your mom was healed. Either your mom would, would be reunited with family or she would be reunited with family. Either your mom would live again or your mom would live again. Either your mom would be well taken care of or your mom would be well taken care of. Either way, the victory is mine. He said, my plan is bigger than any one player on the field. And the hope Christianity offers to each one of us is our expectations in life is that life will send you twists that you didn't expect and didn't want and you tell your story and I would weep with you and I would grieve with you. But in the midst of your story, God wants you to know you can come to the place that you can thank God for the twists and the turns of your life when you understand the final chapter. And what does it look like for you and I to thank God for the twists? Not knowing which one's going to go, but we're going to thank God for what he's done and what he will do. For you, as you approach this next week and month, does that mean you need to give well? Does it mean you need to grieve well? Does it mean you need to learn how to get well in your soul? To find a perspective that will sustain you when life doesn't go your way. I invite the band to come out, Kenny and Neil. And you're saying, Chet, I don't know if I believe in Jesus or God or his resurrection, but wouldn't you want what Horatio had? Well, I don't want his circumstances. I can't imagine sitting in the ocean looking down at where my four daughters died. But imagine knowing that everything you have is on loan from God and that whatever you lose, you will see them again. Imagine knowing that whatever solutions are before you, it's a win and win. Live forever, live forever. Be healed or be healed. Be taken care of or be taken care of. The perspective of Christianity is that you can trust God with the twists and turns of life and get that perspective. Here's that hymn they sang, that it is well with my soul. Let's pray. Father, each person here in this room has got some degree of change that they're grieving through. Good changes and difficult changes. And God, you want to meet each person right here, watching online, in this room, meet them right in this moment and give them a wellness for their soul. I invite you to draw near to each person as we listen.
Can I pray for your soul? Maybe you need to tell God your soul's not well right now. You're anxious. You're overwhelmed. You're brokenhearted. Or maybe I'm confused. I just want to say, God, I want whatever that is. I want my soul to be well. I want to know there's deeper meaning and purpose in my circumstances. I want to find joy that transcends the things that are going on around me. And I invite you to forgive me for demanding of you. And I'd like you to meet me in my joy, meet in my grief. Meet me in my confusion. Confusion. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. And I want the hope of seeing you and seeing everyone who's passed before me again in that final chapter. And Father, as your comfort goes out for each person watching in this room and watching online, they would sense that you are with them that it isn't meaningless suffering they're in, Father, that it can be meaningful, that you could draw near to them in the same way you drew near to this young woman. And that the final chapter would bring meaning to this difficult chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, thank you for joining us today. We're going to continue our journey in a less tearful way next week as we continue our journey into the tales and twists of unexpected windfalls through the Bible. Thanks for being here today. We'd love to meet you. Third door on your left is the hearth room. Stop by. We'd love to say hi.